We're in the book of Isaiah, and we're looking at one of the most astounding prophecies ever written. 750 years before the death of Christ on the cross. And yet, when you read it, it seems as though somebody was right there describing the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and why it took place. And yet, it's amazing that this happened 750 years before Christ's death on the cross. You know, the early church, after the resurrection, they often used these verses to explain why Jesus came, why He died, what He did, the implications of His death and His resurrection. They would preach right from the Hebrew Bible to Jewish people and non-Jews alike. And people would turn and follow Jesus Christ. Can you imagine if you were Isaiah the prophet and you had to write something 750 years into the future? Let's say it's you and I. And we're writing something in 2769 A.D. And you have to predict the person that is going to change the history for the rest of the world. What would he invent? What would he do? How would you describe it? Of course, it'd be impossible. You can't know or understand unless God was speaking through you. Isaiah describes in detail the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The apostles came to understand why Jesus had to die. And what they did as a way of explaining this was they actually exalted the death of the Savior. Now, if you think about this, we don't usually exalt the death of somebody who dies as a criminal, especially horrific death on a cross. We don't exalt his torture, his death. But Jesus Christ was exalted. And then we don't use a symbol, usually, of that execution as a sign of hope, as a sign of faith, as a sign of love. But that's what we've done for the last uh, 2,000 years. We've exalted the cross of Jesus Christ because on the cross, what Jesus did for us is so astounding, so wonderful, so powerful if we receive that truth into our life. And every time we come to the communion table, today we're going to have communion And every time we come to the communion table, the Bible says we proclaim his death until he comes. We're proclaiming the death of Jesus Christ. We're exalting the death of Jesus Christ. We're exalting the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Why do we do that? Because we understand its implications for our life. This past Wednesday at our Alpha course, We talked about the question, why did Jesus die? We answered that question. And in that video that we saw, there were testimonies of people that had given their life to Christ that were totally hopeless, criminals whose lives were transformed. People who had no hope. People that needed God to work in their lives, and He did it. He worked in their lives as they recognized why Jesus died for them. I don't know if you've seen the news clip of uh, the recent, uh, that's recently been up on a white Dallas police officer who said she mistook a neighbor's apartment for her own and fatally shot uh, Botham Jean in his living room. 
Now, Botham was a worship leader in his church. He was a follower of Christ. He was a community worker. And the police officer was sentenced to 10 years in prison. But in a stunning courtroom scene where the victim's family was able to speak to the officer that shot their brother or their son, this is what took place. And you may have seen this, but I'd just like to look at it once more because in this scene, you'll see the power of Jesus Christ to transform a tragedy into hope and love. We can show that. Put the sound. September of last year, after a former Dallas police officer, Amber Geiger, shot and killed an innocent man, Botham Jean, in his own apartment, resulted in this sentence. Ten years imprisonment in the Texas Department of Criminal Justice. Geiger said she thought she had walked into her own apartment. CBN reporter Amber Strong reported on the tragedy and the response by Jean's church. I've interviewed his friends, his ministers. I talked to his teachers. I talked to his uh, employers. And it was all a consistent message that Botham John was a servant, that he was kind from the least to the greatest. The 10-year sentence with the possibility of parole after five is far less than the 99 years in prison Geiger faced. Outside the courthouse, the sentence sparked protests and intense confrontations. And Jean's mother spoke out against the police. If Amber Geiger was trained not to shoot in the heart, my son would be standing here today. But inside the courtroom, both of Jean's brother, 18-year-old Brant Jean, showed tremendous forgiveness toward Geiger after the sentence was imposed. I forgive you. And I know if you go to God and ask him, he will forgive you. I want the best for you. Because I know that's that's exactly what both of them would want you to do. And the best would be give your life to Christ. Then an amazing show of grace that attorneys, court employees, and reporters said they'd never seen in all their years. I don't know if this is possible, but can can I give her a hug, please? Please? Yes. After Brant Jean hugged the sobbing former officer, another remarkable show of love, State District Judge Tammy Kemp gave Geiger a Bible and directed her to read John 3.16 and even hugged her as well. The district attorney said Brant Jean's act was an amazing act of healing and forgiveness that should guide the community going forward. Mark Martin, CBN News. You see, the implications of the cross have powerful, far-reaching implications for us. Because it can change our heart, it can change the whole way we look at a situation. A reaction to this display of forgiveness and empathy toward a convicted murderer understandably sparked a lot of controversy, and rightly so, because it's impossible to understand this kind of love, this kind of forgiveness that can happen unless you've actually encountered the power of the, of the cross of Jesus Christ in your life and the act of forgiveness that Jesus gave us. Didn't Jesus say, to forgive others as he has forgiven us. Doesn't the scripture say to love as Christ loved us? 
And so often, we don't understand the power of the cross because we have not really understood or received or understood or received the implications of the cross of Jesus Christ. And so today, I want to look at that. I know it's a familiar message, but I want us to understand a little bit more and appreciate more than we ever have what Jesus Christ has done for us at the cross. And so, as we look at these scriptures in Isaiah 52, verses uh, 14 and 15, the Bible says this, His appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being, and His form marred beyond human likeness, so He will sprinkle many nations, and the kings will shut their mouths because of Him, for what they were not told they will see, and what they had not heard they will understand. You see, Jesus went to the cross, but before he got to the cross, he was beaten. He was actually put on trial and then uh, lied about, betrayed by one of his 12 disciples, flogged and beaten by frustrated, angry soldiers. He was spit upon, a crown of thorns was clubbed into his skull, and they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. He experienced injustice, unfairness. Then they made him carry his cross, a hundred pounds, to the place of execution, where they nailed his hands and feet to the cross and eventually pierced his side. Make no mistake about it. Jesus Christ understands injustice. He understands pain and the consequences of sin. He understands your suffering and my suffering. He's fully acquainted with death and even the fear of death. He understands disappointment. He understands oppression. He understands depression. He understands shame. He understands guilt. And he understands the results of what happens because of wrong choices. He understands that if you've been wounded and hurt by people, even betrayed, he understands. He experienced that. You know, this picture is uh, taken from Mel Gibson's The Passion. But it's probably one of the movies that illustrates the disfigurement that Isaiah talked about, about Jesus Christ, that he was disfigured beyond recognition, beyond, beyond human likeness. What Jesus went through when they beat him, they beat him to kill him. And yet he survived to go to the cross for us. The only reason he was able to survive the flogging and the beating was because he knew he had to go to the cross, the place of his final execution to die for us. The Bible says he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering. He was familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low self-esteem or low, low esteem. Surely he took our pain and bore our suffering. He was, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. Have you ever felt abandoned by God and your friends? Have you ever felt injustice? Jesus took that pain that you feel to the cross so that you could be free of it. Do you get that? That Jesus took even the feeling of sin 
guilt, and shame to the cross. Not only were our sins placed upon him, but the result and the emotion of those sins were placed upon him. He took your punishment for my sin, for, for our sin, and, and my sin, and the sins of the world, all of it, the pain, the consequences were placed upon Jesus Christ. But friend, that's why you can come to him in your brokenness. You can come to him in your fear. You can come to him in your doubt. Why? Because he went through what he went through on the cross. He experienced it. He tasted it for us. He was able to, so he's able to help us through the difficulties we now face and experience. You know, when we think about that, when you think about coming at the communion table or you think about confessing your sin to Jesus Christ, is God able to forgive me completely of all my sin, of all the things that I've ever done? Sometimes we have a doubt about that. But I want to tell you, there is no doubt when you look at the cross. As you look at what Jesus Christ has done for us, we can have confidence that he's able to forgive us. You know, I was raised a Catholic. One of the things that you had to do in order to take communion was the Saturday before you took communion, you had to go to confessional. And there was a little booth in the church. It almost looked like a closet. They were on the sides of the church. And inside there was a priest on one side of this. He went in one door and you went in the other door. And there was a little wall separating you and a smoky glass uh, screen. You couldn't really see his face. I I couldn't see it. But I remember going in there and confessing my sin before this priest. And uh, I remember it being very vague. You know, uh, as a 9 or a 10-year-old, I didn't want to get too specific. Because if I got too specific, maybe he'd recognize me and tell my parents. But then, uh, you know, I, I didn't know what to confess, so I made things up. I made a number up. I said, you know, I lied f- five times, maybe six times. Five or six times, I said. And so I, I, made, this, I made these things up. Some of the things I probably did do, but I don't know how many times I did them. And after listening to this vague confession, I had to say my penance. So you said this prayer, an act of contrition, and then you said three Our Fathers and three Hail Marys, and you walked out of the confessional booth and you knelt down in front of a statue and, and an altar, and then you prayed there. And after you got done, you were forgiven. But when I became older, I first began to understand for the first time deep inside what Jesus did for me. It wasn't my penance that forgave me. It wasn't the priest that could forgive me. It had to be Jesus Christ himself on the cross. And when we understand the cross and we understand what Jesus did at the cross, we can then personally experience forgiveness. If you've you've never done that, you probably don't know the power of the cross in your life. If you're walking around with guilt and shame, you don't really understand the power of the cross and what Jesus Christ has done for you. The Bible says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, 
But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we have been, yet without sin. Yet he did not sin. And let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Do you see how shame and guilt of sin is removed? It's through the death. It's through the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. His sacrifice was enough to take our sin and and shame and our guilt away. He bore our sins as He hung on the cross. And it's enough to forgive us completely. The Bible says this. Isaiah says, he keeps on going on. But He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on Him, and by His wounds we are healed. We are healed. It's the perfect present tense. It means it was done, but it's for you today. You are healed. So when we come to Jesus Christ in humility and openness and vulnerability, He has the power to forgive us and to cleanse us. But not only that, He says He has the power to heal us Emotionally, physically, mentally, spiritually. He has the ability to bring us into His peace. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 18-19 says this, All this is from God who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to Himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Reconciliation means people that were once enemies now become friends. You know, if, if, if the brother or the judge of Amber Geyer, the police officer in that case you saw, if they would have said, you know, I not only forgive you, but I'm going to take your place. I'm going to go serve those 10 years for you. That would be a tremendous act of mercy in stepping in and taking the place of somebody. But you know what Jesus did? He did much more than that. He said, I'm going to step in and take the punishment. I'm going to take your death for you so you can have eternal life. I'm going to take your place so that you can understand and know eternal life. So it's not only the forgiveness of sins that Jesus bore on the cross, but he also provided in the atonement for our sins and our sicknesses. Both of those things are are communicated. By his wounds we're healed. Look at what it says in Matthew 8, 16 and 17. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to Him, and He drove out the spirits with the Word and healed all the sick. That was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities, and He bore our diseases. Jesus' ministry of healing did not stop after His earthly ministry. It continues today. It continues through the church that we can bring to God even our illnesses, our sicknesses, and ask Him for healing. It's one of the privilege of being a child of God that we can ask God for healing. You see, the early church and the church throughout the ages 
has experienced miracles of healing. Why? Because the scripture says because of his wounds, we are healed. We are healed. That is why we've always prayed for people that have been sick. And we've seen God heal people. We've seen God do miracles. He's still able to do them. James chapter 5, verses 14 to 16 says this, Is anyone among you in trouble? Let him pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing song of praise. Is any one of you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they sin, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. You know, it is powerful and effective to go before the Lord in our weakest times and ask Him for healing. That's why when somebody says, Pastor, can you pray for me? I want to pray for people. Why? Not because I can do something for them. I can't do anything for them. But I know that if they're coming to Christ and they're humbling themselves before the Lord, He's the one that can heal them. God is the one that does it. Unfortunately, I've seen miracles where people are healed and afterwards they walk away from the healing and they forget who healed them and the power that God had in their lives to do that work in their lives. But you know, this happened to Jesus. Do you remember the story of the ten lepers, right? So there was ten lepers on his way to Jerusalem. Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And as he's going to the village, these ten lepers are screaming out from the other side of the road. They can't even get close to the crowd. Nobody wants them near them. Jesus, have Master, have pity on us. And when he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. And he threw himself at Jesus' feet and he thanked him. He was a Samaritan. And Jesus says, we're not all ten cleansed. Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to them, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. There's times when we experience the healing of God and then we forget within weeks later what God has done. We see God answer prayer. We see God meet us emotionally, physically, spiritually. And then we forget. So this morning I want us to remember. I want us to remember the cross. I want us to remember the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. I want to remember the implications of what he did for us. Not as some magic formula, but as his presence, encountering his presence and coming before him in total humility and asking him to work in our lives. God wants to do that. You know, I've personally been prayed for for healing in large meetings and in small meetings. When I have an illness, when I have a bad doctor's report, and there's a healing service, or there's a, I'll I'll go to these pastor's conferences, every time there is a time for healing. Because people are always sick. 
And I'll go, I'll go up for the healing. If I'm, if I'm sick, if I'm not sick, I'm not going to go up. But if I'm sick, I'm going to go up and I'm going to ask God for healing. And you know, sometimes when I'm thinking about that, and I know as a pastor, I know there's many people here that are going through illnesses. And some of them, I don't even know. A lot of times, nobody tells you they're going through a, a difficult time. They just don't, they don't want to share it with anybody. It's this thing that I don't want to share my business with anybody, not even the pastor. I, I'm not even going to pray. I'll pray to God on my own for healing, but I'm not going to pray in front of people. I'm not going to pray. I'm not going to do that because people might talk or they, they might find out. Or, uh, you know. And so we, we live guarded. And we miss out on what James chapter 5 is saying. He's saying, I'm making this provision for you to come humbly and to pray with others that can intercede for you and with you for healing. And so when we have that opportunity, we should come humbly to the Lord. And it's not the prayers of It's the Lord that's the one that's going to heal us because he made provision for that on the cross. He acts on those prayers when we come to him and we talk to him and we lay our lives before him and we say, God, I can't handle this. You need to handle it. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Let's remember what Jesus Christ did for us as we come to the communion table. If you have a need for prayer for healing, I want to encourage you to come forward and to pray. I know uh, this yesterday, the women had a women's retreat. I believe God did some amazing things, you know, and, and met you in a very special way. And there were breakthroughs, and God was working and moving in powerful ways, and you experienced that. But there was a freedom. Was there a freedom there to come to the Lord and come before him? You know, sometimes we have to have that freedom here in our church as well. And not to be ashamed to come and ask for prayer. And so I want to just give a little bit of time before we go to communion and as the uh, song of response is given for anybody that does want prayer for healing, we have oil. We'll anoint you with oil. We'll pray with you. Uh, Some of the leaders will come up and pray over you. And if you have that need, uh, please come forward and have that privilege of being prayed for. Eugene Peterson said these same verses this way. We looked down on him, thought he was a scum. But the fact is, it was our pains he carried, our disfigurements, all the things wrong with us. We thought he brought it on himself that God was punishing him for his own failures. But it was our sins that did that to him, that ripped and tore and crushed him. It was our sins. He took the punishment that made us whole. Through his bruises, we get healed. We're all like sheep. We've wandered off and gotten lost. We've all done our own thing, gone our own way, and God has piled 
our sins, everything we've done wrong on Him, on Him. And yet, we walk away free. We walk away forgiven. We walk away healed as we come to Him. Let's pray. Father God, we just come before You. We realize, Lord, that You are the God who still heals. That You have compassion. You have all power over sickness, over nature, over demonic spirits. You have all power and have shown that power, Lord. But You showed Your greatest power when You died on the cross and You rose again. So, Lord, we commit ourselves to you. Well, I pray that as we come before you today, if there's anybody here that needs healing, Lord, I pray that you give them courage to come and be prayed for. And, Lord, as we gather around the communion table, that you'll meet us here in a powerful way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.